Welcome to the Confident Money Podcast, where we talk money, finances, and accounting for real people without all the technical jargon, patronizing, and gatekeeping. I'm your host, Caitlin Magnuson, and I'm going to be your new finance bestie. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. As a quick reminder, this is a mini season with guest Kyle Seagraves. Kyle Seagraves is a certified mortgage advisor, licensed loan originator, and the owner of Win the House You Love, a YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers. Kyle, welcome back. Pleasure to have you here. And today we're going to be covering all things loans for home mortgages. So I'm going to let you just kick off from here. Cool. So there are several different types of loans, and I think this can confuse people a lot. Um, but there's a couple of main categories of loans, actually four main types of loans that most lenders throughout the U.S. can offer. So each lender doesn't really offer their own specific type of loan. There's kind of a couple main categories. And once we learn those main categories, we can see where we fit into them and begin deciding, is this the right one for me or not? And choosing the right loan can help you save tens of thousands of dollars by choosing the right one, the one that's the best for your situation. And different loan types can benefit people in different ways. For instance, veterans have loans that can save them money on the down payment, um, whereas people with lower credit scores can qualify for a loan and get into a home before they've built up their credit score. So four main types of loans. Um, There is one loan that's called a conventional loan, and then there are three government loans. So these are actually sponsored by and funded by the government, FHA, VA, and USDA. And I'll run through these very quickly. And then there's a couple other lesser used loans, but still can be really helpful in certain situations that we'll cover right after this. So first is a conventional loan. And Caitlin, please interrupt me. And if I miss like any detail or if you have a question about it, conventional starts at a 620 credit score. So we need that as a minimum to begin qualifying. Conventional is the most common type of loan. It's what most people are going to use to get a mortgage. It's usually for 30 years, but you can go down to 10 years, 15, 20, 25, if you want to. Most people take a 30-year conventional loan. It's going to have the best options in terms of its interest rate and the mortgage insurance that's required with this. So the minimum down payment for a first-time buyer is 3%, which a lot of people think it's 20. It's only 3 So for instance, if you're looking at a $400,000 house, um, then you're going to be looking at $12,000 is the minimum down payment. Um, On top of that, you do have closing costs with all types of loans that we'll cover uh, eventually. But So 3% is the minimum. Um, However, if you have less than a 20% down payment on a conventional loan, you will be paying what's called mortgage insurance or PMI on a conventional loan specifically. This is private mortgage insurance. All this does is it protects the lender in the event that you foreclose on the home. So if you don't make payments for a long time and the lender comes in and says, we need the home back, we need to sell it. They have that insurance that you're paying monthly to them until you reach that 20% equity in your home to protect them in that instance. This is to protect the lender should the value of the home potentially fluctuate during that time or drop yes. below, you know, because there, there's expected fluctuations in the market, but because you're a little bit riskier borrower, potentially you're paying that insurance to them until you yep. get that certain amount of the house paid down and have equity established, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And PMI is so much cheaper than a lot of people realize. Um, usually a, a good estimate for people is to look at 0.5% of the loan amount paid annually. So for instance, let's say we had a $400,000 house uh, and we put 3% down. 
So we're taking out a loan for uh, $380,000. I'm doing this math <laughs> right here on my calculator. $388,000. If we looked at uh, 0.5% mortgage insurance annually, that would be about $2,000 per year or $161 per month. Obviously, that adds on to the expense, but compared to the actual monthly cost of that loan is fairly insignificant, especially considering how long it might take you to save 20% down on something like a $400,000 house. Absolutely. Usually what ends up happening is the home is going to appreciate quicker uh, than you can save money for. Because as the home continues to go up in value each year, you're, that down payment is going to become higher and higher and higher. Right. And in the meantime, so, if you're owning the home, you're now building equity as that value is increasing. Right. Yes, absolutely. And for those who are more like investment minded, it, think of it in the same way that if you are going to uh, buy stocks on a margin account, it works the same. You're expecting a higher return on your stock than you are paying interest on the loan mm -hmm. for that stock. So it works the same way. Um, so you have the PMI, 620 is the minimum credit score. Ideally, 680 is going to get you better interest rates. The top is going to be 720. So you're not going to get any better terms by having a 800 than if you had a 720. They're going to be the same thing there. Um, with the uh, with all loans, you're going to have an appraisal. And appraisal is just where the lender says, okay, great. You wrote an offer to buy this home for $400,000. We need to make sure it's actually worth that. You can't go and get a loan for this much money and your home only be worth 200000 So they're usually going to send somebody out to the home. Or now with COVID, there's a lot of uh, what are called desk appraisals where an appraiser doesn't even have to go to the home to find the value. But they're going to figure out how much that home is worth. Conventional loans are the most lenient compared to these other government loans. So they're not going to care as much about things like chipping paint or broken glass where government loans would. So for instance, conventional loans are going to be better for uh, something like a foreclosed home than these other government loan types. Um, before we move on to like the government loans, uh, do you have any questions about the conventional? No, I, I think that was a, I, we did a conventional on this last home purchase. So I'm much more familiar with that now than I was. And I found the process significantly easier compared to the FHA purchase I had initially yes. made when I was <laughs> nineteen twenty. So yeah, definitely love conventional, but for us, it was a lot easier because we'd, we had built up the equity at that time to use for our down mm -hmm. payment. We were able to get to 10%. And I, I think that it's a really common misconception that you have to have 20% because I know I've heard that yeah. float around a lot from our clients and especially with the constantly appreciating home market, mm -hmm. it can look like a lot of money and it can feel very cost prohibitive to even dip your toe in the market. And so I think that I know for us, our PMI was $138 a month, which was yeah. just, I mean, nothing. We can blow $138 relatively easily. And so to make a home purchase accessible to us when our home is now doubled in value was well yeah. worth it for the two years that we paid it. Yeah, you can add this in the show notes. I have a Google Sheet calculator that does this and it's free. So you put in the home you're looking at buying and a couple other things and it will show you how paying PMI is actually better uh, for I you because that. it'll show you how much appreciation you gain on that mm -hmm. compared to the cost of uh, the PMI. And it's going to show you how it's actually a better strategy than saving up the money long-term for the 20% down. Right, um, it's so, taking three years to buy in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you subscribe and join our community at confidentmoneypodcast.com where we share resources and all of the money happenings. 
Plus, you can send feedback and suggestions for what you'd like to see covered in future episodes. That's confidentmoneypodcast.com. Okay, back to the show. So conventional is uh, kind of the gold standard loan that we're going to be using. And most lenders in the U.S. can offer a conventional loan. You don't need one specific lender for these loans. All these loans, most lenders can do. So if you can't qualify for conventional, usually because your credit score is lower or you have a high debt to income ratio, this is the amount of debt that you have monthly compared to your gross income, then people look at often a FHA loan. And an FHA loan uh, stands for the Federal Housing Administration. And this is a program set up by HUD uh, back in like, it's like the 60s or 70s um, to promote homeownership. And so a lot of people have this myth that it's a first time buyer loan because conventional loans used to be 20% minimum. That's why FHA was pushed as more of this first time home buyer. It's not like that anymore. FHA now is not geared towards first time home buyers. It's really geared towards people who have uh, low credit scores or really high debt to income ratios. So FHA allows down to a 500 credit score, which is crazy low, uh, right. but you need to put 10% down if you have anywhere between a 500 credit score and a 579 credit score. The minute you hit 580 in your credit score, you can do three and a half percent down. Okay. So obviously the higher credit score that we have, the better the interest rate is going to be on an FHA loan. Um, ideally for an FHA loan, you want to be at a 640 credit score. Uh, that's going to get you some better interest rate uh, in terms there, but you can go down to a 500. Um, also, FHA is more lenient in uh, the time between something like a bankruptcy, uh, whether it be Chapter 7 or 13 um, or any late payments. Really, if you have issues with credit, FHA is going to be the place to go. What people often do is get that loan to get a house, and then they'll spend the next two to three years to work on their credit and refinance into a conventional loan. And the reason why is because FHA's big killer is its mortgage insurance. So FHA actually has two mortgage insurance types. Uh, there's an upfront mortgage insurance that usually is wrapped into your loan and then also a monthly mortgage insurance as well. Uh, so we already talked about conventional's PMI. FHA has mortgage insurance and instead of PMI, they call MIP. <laughs> I don't know, to be more confusing, it's called a mortgage insurance premium instead of private mortgage insurance, but it's 0.85% of the loan amount. So this is substantially higher than conventional's PMI. Not only that, but conventional's PMI falls off or we can get it removed after 20% equity is built in your home. FHA's mortgage insurance will never fall off right. unless you put 10% down, then it falls off after 11 years. Confusing caveat there. But for most people, <laughs> it will never fall off. And you do not want to be paying that mortgage insurance right. for 30 years. Not only that, there's also an upfront mortgage insurance cost. And this is 1.75% of the loan amount usually added to the loan amount. Okay. So for instance, um, if we were looking at something like, let's say we we're getting a $400,000 loan, um, we would be adding an additional 1.75% uh, to the loan amount, which would be $7,000. So instead of taking a $400,000 loan, we get a $407,000 loan. Now for most people, they're like, oh, well, it's in the loan amount. I don't really care about it. But when it comes time to sell, that's $7,000 that won't be in your pocket anymore. Right. That, gets, that eats away at your equity. 
Um, now, on the flip side, FHA allows a lot of people to get into homes who wouldn't be able to qualify otherwise with something like a conventional loan. Um, also, they allow higher debt to income ratios. So if you have uh, a lot of debt, maybe we need to look at some other things on the personal finance side, but it does allow you to get into an FHA loan, whereas you might not be able to. And this, this is helpful because when you're applying for a loan, what you apply for isn't always your full picture, the full picture of your financial situation. It's just a snapshot. You might be applying on your own, but you might also have a spouse who brings in the same amount of money as you or someone else in your household that brings in a lot of money. And it's not the full picture of your financial situation. It's only a snapshot of what you're showing the lender. So that's why I'm always very careful when you know saying like, it's not just because you have high debt to income ratio doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Just right. to the lender, it looks more uh, risky. risky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, FHA on their appraisals are going to be more strict about the quality of the home. They're really concerned about things like peeling paint, uh, broken glass, um, anything health and safety. As, you know, as minimal as like, hey, there isn't a handrail on these three steps leading up to the house. I need you to put a handrail out there. Can't tell you the amount of times I've seen a real estate agent go out to a home with like, they just got back from Lowe's and they're like putting up one piece of two by four and nailing it into something. Um, so they are more concerned with things like that. Um, before we jump over to VA and USDA, uh, anything you want to touch on with FHA loans? You you just hit a nerve. The first, like I said, the first one that I bought was with an FHA and it was a foreclosed mm-hmm. or bank, bank owned home. Um, yeah. And it was, it was wild, the things that they wanted to have. And I'm, I don't know if this has changed in the meantime, but they wanted to have a working dishwasher. And to me, that made no sense because you can hand wash dishes. If I'm looking to buy a starter home, that's not a make or break, but we had a, the, the deck was rotted. And so they were like, well, there needs to be a rail and there's dryer out here. And just the yeah. differences in the inspections between that home and that loan. And our most recent one were like night and day. Like they still pointed out everything that was, you know, of concern, but it was, yeah. it was a much less stressful process to not go the FHA route, but FHA yeah. made it accessible for me at the time, which then made this purchase accessible. So grateful yeah. for it, but definitely love the conventional more. Yeah, FHA is more headache. Absolutely. And one of the big cons of going with something that's not a conventional loan is it can scare sellers. In a market where we're at right now, we're in a seller's market, um, which means kind of the sellers have the control. So they get to be a little kind of picky and choosy about stuff because they're getting multiple offers on their home. Uh, There's likely going to be a cash offer in there. There's likely going to be a conventional offer in there. And when you come in with FHA, even though it's not a bad loan, There's nothing moral about these loans. They're not good or bad. They're just decisions that we're making about the financing that we're using. Sellers can perceive FHA as being bad and as being there might be issues, there might be problems with the appraisal. And unfortunately, a lot of sellers think that FHA loans mean that it's a bad borrower. That's, oh, they don't handle money well because they need an FHA loan. When in reality, it's actually easier to get an FHA loan approved than a conventional (laughs) <laughs> like it's a way like with with FHA, you have way more leniency if there's small differences in things than conventional can be really tight. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately that exists. It's something to keep in mind though, especially in a market like this. Right. Um, so after FHA, you know, conventional is kind of the, the gold standard. Uh, FHA is, Hey, we couldn't qualify for conventional. Then there's two other types of government loans, and these have more specific use cases with them. Um, so you have a VA loan, uh, Veterans Administration. So this is only for uh, veterans. So you can actually find your certificate of eligibility through the VA's website. This is going to tell you if you can qualify for a home. 
Um, if it says $36,000 on there, that's the full amount of approval. It doesn't mean that you can only buy a $36,000 house. Uh, unfortunately, VA has a very confusing things with entitlement that you can ignore. Um, ultimately, with VA loans, there is no loan limit that got removed uh, a year or two ago. Oh, wow. So you can buy a home, you know, million dollars if you want to with a VA loan. It's like conventional and FHA. They do have loan limits set by county that we have to keep in mind. Uh, VA, no loan limit, 0% down. It does have uh, upfront mortgage insurance that they call a funding fee. Um, for most uh, first-time buyers with VA loans, it's 2.3% of the loan amount added to the loan amount. Uh, there is no monthly mortgage insurance. Okay. So we can see already these things, these things start to get really a little confusing, but I love that the mortgage we, insurance has different names though for each of them. <laughs> it's, it's awful. And you know, what's funny on YouTube is I see a lot of, a lot of people making YouTube videos are real estate agents and they'll be like, FHA is PMI. I'm like, you have no, you don't know what you're talking about. It's MIP. So <laughs> stay in your line. Um, <laughs> VA has a funding fee. This is based on uh, how many times you've used it, your down payment, and also your service. Uh, now, what's really nice about VA loans is if you have 10% or more service-connected disability, uh, you do not have to pay the funding fee, which is a lot of money saved. Right. If that's the instance, VA loan is insanely great. 0% down, no monthly mortgage insurance, and no funding fee, no upfront mortgage insurance if you have a service-connected disability. Also, VA loans have usually historically lower rates compared to all the other types of loans. Um, this is just because the the VA has just been so uh, great at negotiating benefits on behalf of veterans. Um, now, everything else is, with the appraisal on all the government loans are very similar. FHA, okay. VA, USDA, very similar appraisals there. Um, USDA uh, also has a very specific use case. Um, USDA is only for rural areas. Now, this doesn't mean farmland doesn't have to be a farm. Um, and in, in fact, it actually can't be a working farm. Uh, it's a specific population requirement. And you can actually just Google USDA property eligibility. And you can look at a map. For most people, if you extend your commute by around 15 minutes, you'll be in a USDA eligible area. Wow. Um, so USDA is great it goes all the way down to a 500 credit score. However, it's best to have a 640 and above. If we have a 640 on a credit score, 640 on a USDA loan, we can use the automated underwriting software, um, which we talked about in the credit episode. Uh, the automated computer system for approving loans is a lot easier than if someone has to manually review it. 500 is the minimum. 640 is going to be a lot better, but 0% down no matter what credit score we have. USDA does have an upfront mortgage insurance. They call it a guarantee fee. Everyone calls things differently. Um, this is often 1% of the loan amount added to the loan amount, and then also monthly mortgage insurance for the life of the loan that will never come off of 0.35% of the loan amount. This is usually uh, on par or cheaper than conventional's PMI, but we are paying it for the life of the loan as well. Um, so USDA, no loan limit, just like a VA loan, but it does have an income limit. Not only is it an income limit, it's actually a household income limit. Oh, so okay. even if someone is not on the loan with you, if they're in the home, it, what trips up a lot of people is if they have a parent living with them and that parent uh, 
earns disability or whatever income mm-hmm. they have, that actually has to be counted on the loan uh, in the loan limit, even if they're not on the loan. So anybody above 18 who's earning income will be counted in that loan limit. And that loan limit usually uh, is fairly restrictive for a lot of people. It depends on the county, but it's often around $80,000. And for a household, uh, that can be tough because anybody above 18 who is earning uh, money there. So those are the four. And it can be really confusing because it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much and there's all these different things. But it's actually really easy to begin seeing from the high level view of would I even qualify in general? USDA, am I going to buy in a rural area? You need to look up that map to see first. Mm-hmm. If no, cool. Well, I don't even have to consider it. VA, are you a veteran? No, I'm not. Okay. Well, we can't even consider it. We don't have to worry about it. Then we look at conventional or an FHA. Do I have a credit score that is 680 and above? Conventional is going to be my first choice. If I have a credit score that's below 680, I'm then going to explore FHA. So those are the four main types. Yeah, the four main types that most lenders have. Um, And I know it it does get confusing. You don't have to go into the nuances until you're like, these are the two that I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. Um, On top of that, there are a couple different other more creative options. Uh, You have things like jumbo loans. So for instance, conventional loans do have a loan limit. And this is going to change by the county. Um, So for instance, like a home in Nashville is going to have a higher loan limit than in Dayton, Ohio. Um, so if you're going above the loan limit, if you're looking at a house that is, let's say $900,000, you're likely going to need something called a jumbo loan. Jumbo loans usually require larger down payments. Um, what's frustrating about jumbo loans is that there isn't a standard set of rules. So conventional loans, FHA, VA, USDA all have literally a rule book called a handbook, usually several thousand pages each jumbo loans. Every lender is going to have different rules for their jumbo loans. There's not one national set of guidelines. So all the rules can change. Um, Jumbo loans usually start around 10% down, sometimes 20%, and often want a really high credit score, 680, sometimes 720 to get a jumbo loan. And jumbo loans are going to be a lot more restrictive on the income that you can have and the amount of debt that you can have as well. Are we seeing Again. more jumbo loans or the necessity for more jumbo loans as house prices have been increasing? Because while you were just talking, I looked it up for where we live and it is shockingly low for our county. We are not that far from hitting jumbo loan category and we are not one of the most expensive houses in the area. So it just kind of got me thinking, have we seen a surge in jumbo loans because of that? Yeah. Uh, not from any data that I've seen. And the main reason why is because the conventional loan limits increase, uh, usually every year. So between this year and last year, it actually increased 18%, uh, which is pretty on track with what around home values have been appreciating. So now it's 647,200 is for most of the U S then there are what are called high balance areas where that loan limit is actually raised to accommodate some of these more, uh, right. Like San Francisco, LA, New York. Yep. Yeah, and some of those go up to nine hundred thousand uh, for a single-family home. So um, I haven't seen jumbos increase demand because the conforming conventional loan limit has been increasing with it as well. So you have jumbo loans. You also have bank statement loans. Bank statement loans are a little bit newer uh, on the scene recently, um, or at least in popularity. And bank statement loans are for primarily self-employed borrowers and self-employed people usually write off a lot. 
Um, and their income, uh, their personal income on their personal tax return usually isn't the best indication of the actual money coming into the company. I know for myself, obviously I have a business account and a personal account. And even though money is always going from my business to personal to being spent, it doesn't, I don't always just throw money into my personal account immediately immediately when it comes into the business account, mm-hmm. but it's the same money, <laughs> but lenders don't view it that way. Um, so if you are self-employed and you have a smaller company where you have a lot of control of your finances, usually you're writing off a lot and your personal in- income might not be a good indication of how much money you actually do have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a lot of self-employed people, I shouldn't say a lot, for a good amount of self-employed people, they run into an issue where they can't qualify for a loan because their personal income uh, is too low to qualify for a mortgage, even though their actual income that they see every day can absolutely qualify for a loan. Right. In that instance, we can't use tax returns uh, to qualify for a mortgage because the income would be too low to support the mortgage payment. Um, so there is a program called bank statement loans where a lender will look at 12 to 24 months of either personal or business bank statements and average the deposits into your account. Then what they'll usually do is they'll use an expense ratio depending on what type of industry you're in. So for instance, if you're a real estate agent, they might look at 12 months of your business bank statements, average those. Let's say the average comes out as $200,000 of all your deposits. Um, They're gonna look at those monthly. So that would be your uh, 200,000 divided by 12. Um, would be $16,600 per month. For real estate agents, they're usually using a ratio around 90%. So they'd act like you have 10% expenses per month. So they would say that you could then qualify using $15,000 per month as your income. Um, For other industries, that might be 50%. Uh, Anything below 50%, they would usually ask for um, something like a profit and loss statement to figure out what your actual expenses are. So ultimately though, if you can't qualify as a self-employed person with a normal conventional loan or FHA or anything like that, you can look at bank statement where they would treat your income a little bit differently. And this is nice because there's no write-offs on a bank statement. Uh, They're only looking at the gross income and then some expense ratio. Uh, Then there's also another program. Uh, It's it's not really a separate program. It's kind of, think of it like an add-on to a loan called down payment assistance. Same thing with like with Jumbo, there isn't one big rule book and one program about down payment assistance. It's usually all given on like a local level. So usually counties or states have down payment assistance programs and down payment assistance programs are basically any program that helps pay all or some of your down payment or closing costs. So usually there's some limits in there. And then often there is an income limit as well. So most of the time programs are designed where Uh, There might be a county program that says we want to help out uh, lower income individuals qualify for a home um, without having to pull all the money out of their pocket. Mm -hmm. Um, However, they're going to put a limit on that. So somebody making 200,000 can't just be like free money. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Down payment assistance though. um, What we have to keep in mind is there often are some uh, quote unquote strings attached to it. It usually isn't just free money. Have fun with it. So these are all dependent on the program. And it's best to talk with a loan officer and say, hey, do you have access to down payment assistance programs that you can tell me about? Um, That's going to be the easiest access to finding these programs. 
rather than just kind of a Google search. That's not going to send us in a very solid direction. So with these programs, you can have things like a higher interest rate. Um, there could also be a potential of you have to be in a home for a certain period of time. Um, there are some down payment assistance programs that say, uh, let's say it says you have to be in there for five years and then it's fully forgivable. But if you sell within three years, you have to pay back the full amount. Some say you only have to pay back partial amount. Mm -hmm. um, so there can be all these little things that happen. There are even some programs that are really intense, and this is the minority, that actually can require things like community service along with uh, receiving the assistance. So it's all across the board on what happens with down payment right. assistance. Just know that it does exist. Often down payment assistance is used with an FHA loan. There are very few down payment assistance programs that work with conventional loans. So just something to keep in mind. Um, so if we're looking at FHA, that is an option. I personally would not use a down payment assistance program if I can afford the 3% down conventional because I don't want a higher interest rate if mm -hmm. I can afford the down payment. So I have not found a lot of down payment assistance programs to be beneficial long-term um, because of some of the strings attached with them. There are programs out there that can be really good, but there are a lot more programs that I think are going to cost you a lot more money than are going to save you money in the long run. Right. That makes total sense. And also, I think the popularity of bank statement loans are, I'm going to say due to TikTok, because I know I've seen them pop up. Oh, really? Over my TikTok. Yes. Um, it's been really interesting. I didn't even know that they existed until TikTok kept talking about yeah. them about six months ago. So unfortunately, the, the strategy of like real estate agents and lenders is always just like, did you know, it's always centered around like, we can get you in a home immediately. No matter, like, it's always like, did you know we can do that and we can do this and we can do that? It's like very car sales, kit sales. Yeah, we can do all these obscure things, and but are they actually the right fit for you? Yeah, these all like, oh, not a problem. Not we can do that. Not a problem. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, that's not the no best. Credit, <laughs> low credit. You have that. Yeah, it, it just sounds. Yeah, like one of those salesy things. Um, I will say, and I wasn't sure if we should include this in the credit episode or this. Uh, if you don't have a credit score, you still can qualify for all of these loans. And you might want to jump back to the credit episode where we talked about uh, the adding trade lines. Mm -hmm. um, you can, but no credit and, and bad credit are not the same thing. Bad credit, you still have a credit score, you can't get rid of it. No credit, like absolutely no credit at all, is very different. And you still can get something like a conventional loan with no credit. No, I think that's great to add in there. Um, so a couple of questions for you that I know I've heard tossed around a lot. When, and this might go into our timing a little bit here on our next episode, but when should someone or should someone, we're going to say should, shop around for loans or shop around for, you know, people to work with and how do they know when they found the right person or the right company? Yes. Shop around way sooner than you expect, or at least begin the applying step. Like if you're even remotely considering buying a house. Do it now because what most of the time happens is people are like, oh, I'll do it a week before I'm ready to start buying. But then they, like that day, they're like, we found the house. Once you're in that mindset, you're in that mindset and you can't mm -hmm. really get out of it. You're not going to slow yourself down. Most people can't. So if you're looking at buying, let's begin the, the mortgage conversation way earlier because we can always update the approval, right? There's zero risk in applying with a mortgage lender. So at least apply and just begin seeing what do the numbers look like? How does it feel when we look at the monthly payment and everything added with it, like taxes and insurance and um, PMI, you know, any mortgage insurance, what do the upfront costs feel like? So I would at least begin that as 
really as early as you're like, I think I want to buy a house. <laughs> Begin that conversation. Um, when you're shopping, uh, I think a lot of people don't really understand why they would shop. Uh, we're doing it for two reasons. Um, one is to make sure that we have uh, approvals with several people. That way we kind of weed out maybe those lenders who are like, yeah, we can do it. No problem. Because there's a lot of people who just go with the first lender and then they get under contract and that loan actually can't go through because the loan officer didn't check something. We want to have a backup plan with a couple of different lenders mm -hmm. to make sure we actually can get approved with several people, not just one guy who was like, "You, we can absolutely do it. No problem at all. The other big thing is we can save money by seeing what terms a lender would give to us. Different lenders are going to have different interest rates, uh, different mortgage insurance that they might offer on a conventional loan. One might offer, you know, $160 per month. Another might be 120. So it's going to be cheaper monthly. Um, might have different interest rates. Um, some might have smaller, different programs or different nuances. And we also might run into a level of service that's different. Mm -hmm. One loan officer might be really quick and responsive and helpful. And another one might never reply to my email. And when you're under contract, you have a certain amount of days that you said you're going to close your home in. For a lot of people, it's 30 days. In really competitive markets, that might be 20. It's not just a preference. It's a legal requirement that you signed. And so if we work with a lender, even if they have a really low rate, but they're not responsive and they're really slow and disorganized, and they don't close the home within, let's say, 30 days that we put on our contract, the seller can cancel the deal and you won't get the home. Now, we can ask for an extension. That absolutely happens. But we have to keep that in mind of, a lender can change, they can kill the deal if they don't help us close on time. And so that can be really frustrating for home buyers because it's not just the bottom line number who has the lowest interest rate. We're also looking at who can help us actually close this whole thing, answer our questions, help us navigate something that can be very confusing and help us overcome problems if they come up. Um, and so that's a really hard thing to sum up into one <laughs> quality or into like, what's a good rule of thumb? And I've always relied on on the thought of who has the heart of a teacher. If you're working with a loan officer who's willing to explain things to you mm -hmm. and they're patient and they uh, don't get mad that you're asking questions, um, th that usually is going to be a really good person to work with. And a quick way to figure out who that is, is just ask questions. Uh, the person who is, has the heart of a teacher will answer those patiently and kindly. The person who doesn't is going to try to push you into more of a sales conversation. And really it is kind of a gut feeling. I know in finance, a lot of people don't want to feel things for some reason, <laughs> but like your body is good at understanding risk and understanding what is good and what's not. Even if you don't fully understand the situation, if somebody that I'm talking to rings some alarm bells in me and I'm like, I don't have a good gut feeling about this, then let's listen to that. Right. The right person to work with, you're going to have a good feeling about that. Now, from the numbers perspective, Comparing these different loans can be really frustrating. And unfortunately, there usually isn't a really good way to analyze these numbers side by side because no lender wants to be like, that lender over there, they do have cheaper rates. <laughs> no one's <laughs> yeah. going to tell you that. Right. Um, so I, I was running into an issue where a lot of home buyers that I was talking to who comment on my channel who were running into these issues of like, lender A gave me this and lender B gave me this, but I can't tell which one is better because one has a lower interest rate but higher costs. And the other one has higher interest rate, but lower cost. Which one do I choose? Um, so I actually made a software that I called the Loan Clarity Advisor. You just put in what a lender tells you, what interest rate, the down payment, 
the amount closing costs, things like that. Um, and it will tell you which year, which loan is the cheapest. So it might say in year five, lender A is the cheapest. And then in year 10, lender B is the cheapest. So if I know I'm going to be in the home for 10 years or more, I'm going to go with lender B. And if I'm going to be here for a short amount of time, I'll go with lender A. And so that's something you can use to compare those. What I would recommend for people is looking at a software like that, mm -hmm. compare the numbers. And then once you take a look at the numbers in a really transparent way and say this, here's what the data is actually showing me, the actual raw data of this is financially the best option. When I'm comparing these, if maybe lender A and lender B over 10 years are only a $2,000 difference. Am I then willing to go with the lender who has the high, slightly higher interest rate because I'm more confident in them closing mm -hmm. the loan? I'll mm -hmm. do that all day long. $2,000 over 10 years, it's absolutely will pay that to make sure that I actually get this home. Right. Because a lot of people will just go online and try to find the cheapest advertisement. You know, those like really, I don't even know how they're legal, but you'll see those advertisements are like, 1% interest. Like no one's offering that. <laughs> uh, but then you, you know, you apply and it's, you work with somebody who maybe is inexperienced and you're not able to close the loan and you could miss out on right. buying the home that, that 1% potential has now potentially cost you a home. It cost you the entire, that entire home. Yeah. Now you have to go find something else and you potentially already paid $500 for an appraisal, $500 for an inspection, maybe more. Not to mention all the time that you spent looking for homes. So those are the two things that I would look at. Let's look at the raw finances. Uh, and you can use that software to compare those instead of having to do all the math yourself. Which we'll it link takes, in the notes. Yeah. It takes forever. And most people don't do it correctly. And then coupling that with which one of these lenders has the heart of a teacher. Yeah. From there, you'll be able to make a really good decision. Usually what ends up happening is the most helpful person often has uh, usually the middle ground offering. If you're looking yep. at three people, usually they're, they're the second person second best option. And I'll go with them all day long over the cheapest option that I don't have confidence in. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. I think that that's great advice. When looking to qualify for a home mortgage, I think that both with home loans and with auto loans, uh, it's a really common misconception that if you are married or partnered, that both of you, it, it kind of comes across, and I was actually under this belief until several years ago that like, why wouldn't you both be on a loan? You know, you're both contributing mm. to the household finances. You're both purchasing this, but I, I want to talk about, do both people need to be on the loan and kind of, and this may come back in and our strategy that we chat yeah. about later, but do both people need to be on the loan when looking to purchase a home mortgage or a home? The debt? best strategy is put the minimum amount of people on the mortgage as possible. If you can qualify with just one person, do that. Um, because it really just adds a layer of protection. Your spouse can always be added onto the deed and not on the mortgage. So if you can qualify with just one person, you can do that. You both have ownership of the home, but there's only one person who has responsibility for the debt. And why I would do this is because worst case scenario, okay, things like COVID happen, you lose your job, you get behind. even just missing a mortgage payment can derail credit for years. I'd rather not that happen to two people. Let's just have it happen to one person. Now we have the other person's credit saved there. Um, not only that, but what I run into with a lot of people is they're like, my credit score is great, but my income's low. And another person's like, my credit score sucks, but my income's great. Like, okay, well, when we're applying together, the lender is going to use 
the lower credit score to qualify you for which loan you can use and the interest rate as well. Um, so if we can just use one person, preferably with a higher credit score and get away with the lower mm -hmm. income, that's the best strategy. If we have to add, you know, if there's not enough income and you need to add that person on, that's fine, but we do have to use the lower credit score. So ultimately it's better to do the minimum amount of people possible. Um, it's just less, not only is it easier, but it adds that safety net if you need it. Absolutely. Mitigates the risk to the household as a whole. And I don't know if you want to chat about this at all, but I know that I had um, kind of become aware that if one of us, if you know, I was going to be the primary person purchasing our homes going forward, there might be a strategy to putting, let's say, our auto loans under my spouse's name mm -hmm. and, you know, having that so that the debt is showing up on his and not showing up on mine rather than if, you know, we're both on the auto loan shocker because this is before I knew. And so even if I was qualifying for the house on my own, that auto loan in both of our names would show up, yeah. you know, under my debt to income. Whereas if it was on his, it wouldn't have shown up. Yeah. The amount of times I've had clients refinance an auto loan into somebody else's name is <laughs> like too many to count. Uh, cause it is very common, uh, especially when it's a joint account and it's like, Oh, we just, five years ago, we needed that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, three years ago, they needed to do that, but their credit's not at the point where they need to do that anymore. And refinancing it off of their credit report immediately removes it from a debt on the mortgage uh, to then be able to qualify. Um, because we're all, we're looking at here what's called the debt to income ratio. And it is your uh, monthly debts plus your future mortgage payment divided by your gross monthly income. Um, and so, this waivers depending on the loan type, but usually around 45% is going to be a maximum that you're going to be looking at. So you can take your, your gross monthly income and multiply it times 0.45 and find the maximum amount of debt that you can have. And so if you're over that limit, that's when you want to start looking at, okay, could we take a car out of my name and put it into my spouse's if I'm just on the loan to right. remove that debt from me? Or is there a student loan payment or loan that's almost, you know, so close to being paid off? Could we have that? Is there like, what is the lowest barrier here to, especially when you're on the cusp to get yeah. that out of your, you know, debt to income calculations. And I think, yeah, and don't, I think people just look at paying debt off as like a blanket thing when you don't have to pay debt off and you like, mm -hmm. why do yeah. it right now? But there's a strategy. And don't, don't do any of this without talking to a loan officer first, because a lot of people, I think they, they don't realize qualifying for a loan actually isn't a problem for them. In their mind, they're like, there's no way I'll be able to qualify. A lot of self-employed people do this. No way I'll be able to qualify. I have to go with a bank statement loan. Mm -hmm. Did you even try getting approved with a conventional? Because I've worked with a lot of self-employed people who they can qualify for conventional all day long. It's only after you talk with a loan officer and things, uh, maybe there's some work that needs to be done or a different strategy that needs to happen that then we want to consider. Don't do all this work before you even got a no to begin right. with. Right. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think, again, seeking that educated information and the empowered information lets you then make decisions without just spinning out. Because I think a lot mm -hmm. of people have a tendency when it comes to money, debt, loans, any of this to just kind of spin out of control a little bit. Oh, I'm going to, you know, try and yeah. do all of these things or they've taken all this outside information in that may not apply at all in their situation where you could sit down and have, you know, a 15, 20 minute conversation, have submitted your information and then have a clear action path. Maybe you don't have to do mm -hmm. anything. Maybe you're good to go as is and you just didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. That happens for a lot of people with student loans too, where they're like, mm. there's no way I'll be able to qualify with this. And they're like, <laughs> and they're like, oh, did you see my student loans? Yeah, they're fine. Not a problem <laughs> at all. You're good. Right. <laughs> like, oh. Okay. I've just been making all these stories in my head. Cool. Cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. For most people. Love this. The last okay. thing I'll say about loan shopping is please shop for your loan. Like going back to our, our first episode on credit, um, a lot of people get really scared about inquiries. Mm-hmm. You're in one inquiry only a fixture score is zero to five points and you are legally re- allowed to shop for 45 days multiple mortgage inquiries will only count as one so let's say i get one inquiry i have 45 days to shop with 10 15 20 30 lenders that would be a lot of work but you can shop with as many lenders as you want within 45 days and it will only count as one inquiry the inquiries will still show up on your credit report but it will only impact you as Mm -hmm. if it was just one inquiry. So the system works in your favor to shop around for the best terms. Uh, After 2008, that was became one of the requirements is making sure that people are able to have the opportunity to shop for a mortgage that works for them and not just get trapped into one lender because they're afraid of another inquiry. Right. No, I think that's really important because, and I think a lot of people still think that those inquiries are, credit impacting when having them count as one is just really, I'm going to say a breath of fresh air, which is (laughs) hilarious to think about when you're thinking of credit, but still. And with that being said, let's say that maybe you go shop for a mortgage now and you don't end up actually moving forward with it. How long does that take for those inquiries to roll off or for the, you know, one inquiry to roll off? Yeah. uh, They're going to stay on, usually they're going to have like an impact for around 180 ish days. Uh, and they're going to fall off over time and usually stay on your report for a year. Um, so, but again, the impact initially is so minimal that it doesn't really matter. I will right. say what, what happens for a lot of people is they get an inquiry. And since they're, they're may, they might be subscribed to several different credit reporting sites. And all of a sudden they get this barrage of emails like, did you, did you know someone checked your credit? Did you, did you know that? Uh, and they act like the sky is falling and then they log into this account and remember, that was a soft score model that they're using that's different than actual mortgage mm-hmm. FICO credit score. And so their Vantage score might fall more than the zero to five points. And what ends up happening, this is me with my somewhat dark theory. <laughs> what it seems like happens is they're like, hey, the world's falling apart because you got this inquiry. That's so awful. Hey, by the way, you should work with one of our lenders. Mm. It's this big like fear. Hey, fear, fear, fear. fear. Yeah. But direct your attention to one, like one of our lenders who is also going to need to get an inquiry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but there, it really is like they're always like, "Hey, this wasn't it so bad that you got an inquiry." Um, by the way, here's one of the lenders that you should work with that pays us to recommend. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, was this whole thing just an advertising pitch to get me to work with your lender? And yeah, yes, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that's dark so much as probably realistic. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think that's great. So four main types of loans, conventional, FHA, VA, and USDA. And then you also covered bank statement and jumbo and down payment assistance. Down payment assistance. Yeah. So, and the calculator that you mentioned, check the notes if you're listening and you want to go give it a try. Um, that will be linked in here along with the show notes. And in our next episode, we're going to talk all about timing and how the actual process works, the approval process, you know, how to get started, how do you get pre-approved? What do you need to be doing next? So check back next week for that. 
If you loved this episode, make sure to leave a five-star review for a chance to win a free financial strategy session with yours truly, Caitlin Magnuson. We do the drawing the first week of every month and to be eligible, you'll want to leave a five-star review and include your IG handle so we can contact the winner. I'll see you next time where we'll chat real finances for real people.